We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning. We are in the third week of a mini-series that we started the week after Christmas. And the mini-series really started after Christmas with this passage in Luke. And so we'll read that passage in Luke chapter 2. And then we'll reframe the series and tell you where we've been, what we're talking about today, and where we're going next week. Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There we go. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, describes Jesus and his growth as a teenager. So if you're there, would you read this passage as I read it out loud? Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the past few weeks, using that small verse, uh, we have sort of teased out this idea of what does that mean for Jesus, the God-man, to have grown in favor with God? How did Jesus, who was God Himself, how did He grow in favor with God? How, how did that happen? What were the, the mechanisms that caused God to look at Jesus in a way that made Him smile, His favor. In a way that made Him uh, bless what Jesus is and what He does and what He says and all of His endeavors. How did that happen? How did Jesus grow in wisdom and in favor with God and with man? What does that look like? And so we understand it from Philippians chapter 2 in our Christology that Jesus set aside His divinity. He put it aside. He, he, he did not take up His divinity while He was on earth, but He laid it aside as though it were... He, wasn't, he didn't stop being God, but He didn't tap into His godness. Jesus was human. And the implications of that are that Jesus had to learn the Bible. Right? Genesis 1, John 1 says that Jesus was the Word of God. That He was the Word. That... He was the spoken Word created uh, that created everything. And so Jesus, the Word, when He became a man, had to learn the Word. Right? See, some of you thought, well, Jesus probably just had the Bible like downloaded to His mind. Like when He was a little infant Jesus, He could probably just quote whole chapters of passages because He was Jesus, right? He just was super baby, right? He could probably fly and touch things and make them a lot. No, listen, this is not the biblical... Jesus was so human that when He claimed to be God, it enraged people. When Jesus forgave sins, people scratched their head and said, how can this mere man forgive sins? This was the scandal of Christ, is that He was a man. He set aside His divinity. And He became a person just like us. Experienced temptation like us. He did everything just like us, except that He was sinless. He resisted temptation till the end. And so with this idea, we started to think, what does it look like for baby boy Jesus to grow in favor with God? And then 
as a result of that, what do we do when we look at the life of Jesus? How do we grow in favor with God? And here's the idea. Here's the idea. What would it look like if you described 2016 to a friend? Maybe next December, you're sitting around and and, um, you find yourself having to explain to a friend, hey, what was your 2016 like? And you were to say, listen, it was the year of God's favor on my life. I mean, I felt the favor and the blessing of God on my life in 2016. I recently uh, traveled with two of my uh, closest friends from kindergarten, played first grade soccer together. We have this little picture of us, a little 70s uh, bowl-cut Gibson with uh, blonde hair with calyx sticking out, Next to Riyadh, same thing, and, and we've just been friends forever. So I went and spent some time with Riyadh. We went to the Orange Bowl in Miami and drove together and, and just spent a few days together. And on our way back, we connected with Tony, another one of our childhood friends, and we sat at a Chick-fil-A in North Carolina for breakfast after this long trip, and we just started to talk to each other. And this was the natural place that conversation came up. Hey, wh- how was your year? What was your year like? And as we described our year, I looked at uh, Tony and I said... Um, you, Tony's a believer, but as I was talking to Tony, I said, um, I said, he said, tell me about your year. I said, man, I can just, if one word described it, it would be Ichabod. Well, I got confused. It was like a Bible joke. I mean, if you know, that's a confusing thing. I said Ichabod, and Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. It's no longer here. And what I meant to say was what? Ebenezer, right? I meant to say Ebenezer. Like two chapters later, they're just two unusual words, like two chapters away from each other. And Ebenezer is a totally different meaning. Um, Samuel has fought back the Philistines, and the Philistines, they have taken more of God's territory, and they've experienced God's blessing and God's favor. And Samuel said, the entire place where God has blessed us and given us favor we stack a stone right there, and the word Ebenezer means this far has God brought us. Up to this point, I've experienced His blessing and His favor, and up past that stone, I haven't traveled yet. But up to the very edge of that stone where God has blessed us and we've experienced His favor, Ebenezer. Well, that's what I meant to say to Tony. But what I said was Ichabod, which is a totally different thing. It's a wrong thing to say. Um, but I think the, the comparison there is, is interesting that, that for many of us, we do experience Ichabod. That is, the presence and the glory of God is not apparent in your life and in my life. And you can look back on a year and say, I, I don't even know if God's glory or favor or blessing was, was on my life at all. It was, felt chaotic and there was turmoil and there was trial and there was difficulty. And so the idea in this mini-series is for us to understand what is, number one, what is God's favor? And that was last week. We defined God's favor, not as some sort of surfacey, materialistic, financial blessing. How shallow would God be if, if just wealthy people had God's favor and everybody else like us who was paycheck to paycheck and had debts and bills and things stacking up that we felt like... God's blessing is only tied to finances. Listen, if you turn to some uh, TV stations at night, that's what you're going to think and that's what you're going to hear is that God's favor only has to do with how much money you have in your bank account. Well, we dispelled that myth last week because we understood that most of the time when God's favor is used in Scripture, it has to do with His presence, with His nearness. Mary was greeted. You highly favored. Why? 
Because the presence of God was manifest within her. Samuel was favored because God's presence was with him. Moses experienced God's favor because God's presence was with him. So when we talk about you walking in God's favor for 2016, it is the idea that you are going to walk in the presence of God. That you're going to walk in the presence of God. And so this week we wanted to, uh, after describing what it is and what it isn't last week, this week we want to understand, well, how do we do that? Is there like a formula? Is there like a checklist? Are you going to give me a, so, sort of a series of actions that I'm just supposed to do? And that if I put all, it's like a recipe, right? I mean, I just add this and add that to my life that I stick it in the oven and out comes a year of God's favor. How do we do this? How do we get it? And then next week we're going to talk about what is the end result? What is, what is the result of God's favor on your life? If you were looking back on it, what would the byproducts and what would it look like for you to have walked in God's favor? If Jesus increased in favor with God, then it stands to reason that we can increase in God's favor and we can decrease in God's favor. You can do things, you can have attitudes, you can, you can increase and decrease in favor with God. Now, right away, let me say once again, like I did last week, this has nothing to do with God's love for you. You are dearly loved. God proved His love for you on the cross. When He nailed His Son Jesus to the cross, He was saying, I love you. I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. So favor with God has nothing to do with the bedrock foundational truth that God absolutely loves you and adores you and is crazy about you and proved it on the cross. He can't give you anything more. If you didn't believe that God loves you based on what He did on the cross, uh, there's nothing else in His repertoire. He doesn't have anything more above that to prove His love for you, right? What more can He do? Right? He calls Jesus His beloved Son, His only begotten Son. There's no higher thing that He could give you the cupboard is empty, it's bare. If you don't believe that God loves you based on the crucifixion of His only Son, you're never going to believe that God loves you. If He gives you like a better parking spot, if He gives you like a great sale on a new pair of jeans or something, those are things that sometimes we equate with God's favor and His love. Like God must really love me because uh, I got this or I received this. And sometimes we doubt God's love. Listen, God's love and His favor are, are separate because His love is proven for you on the cross. You never have to doubt that. Malachi 1, they doubted God's love. You never have to doubt God's love for you. He proved it on the cross. And so His favor on your life has nothing to do with His love for you. But you can grow in His favor. You can walk in His presence. And you can also suppress that path of walking in His presence by your attitudes and your actions. And so here's the way I want to frame this up over the next two hours, how we can think about this. It's a dumb dad joke. I say it almost every week. Uh, it's not two hours. It's really like 20 minutes. 30 total. How can we think about this? If it's not a formula, if it's not a to-do list, let me say it to you in this way. There are actions that naturally flow 
from a redeemed heart. There are actions and attitudes that naturally spring up from a redeemed heart. If you're redeemed, if you're born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, if you are born again of the Spirit, if you've been made alive by Christ, if Ephesians 1 is true in your life, that the Holy Spirit has been placed in your life as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, there is an action and an attitude and there is a a result from that divine salvation that God has wrought on your life. All of these things flow over sincere worship. Don't you ever just well up with thank you, Jesus, with just a sense of yes, thank you. I worship you. I adore you. I love you. Aren't there moments in your life, whether they're few and far between or whether they're often, where your spirit just wells up in this huge sense of yes, thank you. Right? That's a, that is the byproduct of redemption. That's the truth of understanding the, the, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that He took your place. He was the substitute. You deserve to die on the cross because of your sinfulness against a righteous and holy God. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'll die for you. And that produces in your soul worship. That's an action and attitude that flows from a redeemed heart. And you, you understand that. I don't, have to, I don't have to describe that to you because if you're a believer, that's just as natural to you as, as anything else, as breathing. In addition to worship, there is a heartfelt gratitude. You, thank you should be some of your favorite words. You should, you should say thank you a lot if you're redeemed. That's a natural outflow of a redeemed heart. Grace and forgiveness should pour from your life. When people talk about you, they should say, oh man, when I'm, when I'm thinking about her, I think of grace and forgiveness. I've seen people um, slander her or be mean to her or say rude things about her or to her and she just keeps blessing them and having favor and praying for people. who. These are natural byproducts of salvation. Grace, forgiveness. Why? Because we receive grace and forgiveness, right? Jesus forgave you of all your sins. In your worst moment, in your worst moment, Jesus still says, I love you and I forgive you. You've never outsinned His grace. You have never outsinned His grace. And so from the grace received, you give grace and forgiveness. Your soul gushes with worship for God if you're redeemed. You delight in truth. Have you ever just read a passage and just stopped and closed your eyes and said, oh yes, truth, good theology, that's good doctrine. And something about your spirit rejoices when you dwell in truth. You're nourished in the presence of other believers in ways that strengthen you and encourage you. And it's different than other relationships, right? These are all actions and attitudes that naturally flow from a redeemed heart. So I want you to think about that as you consider what does it mean to grow in God's favor. Because it's not a formula. Here's the rub. In our sinful flesh, we suppress these actions and attitudes. There's a war going on in your spirit, and you've felt it. Paul describes it in Romans 7. The good things I want to do, what? I don't do. I don't do them. The good things that I should do, the 
natural actions and attitudes that flow from redeemed heart. I don't do those things. I wish I did, but I don't. And, and the same is true that the bad things that I really wish I didn't do, I do them. You ever feel that? You feel the kind of yo-yo in your soul? Is it just me? Or do you ever feel that way that ah, I can't overcome my flesh? I can't resist the temptation like I wish I could. And so we feel this back and forth, this back and forth. In our sinful flesh, we suppress these actions and attitudes. And in our worst times, we get cynical and critical and bitter and angry. And we, we stand on the sidelines and we watch other people and we just critique what they do. Ah, if I were them, I would do it this way. Blah, blah, blah. I, I wish they would just do it better and more and this and that. And in our worst places, when we're suppressing these natural reactions to a redeemed heart, we just get nasty and we get ugly to each other and to ourselves. We, we have self-hating and self-loathing and then that translates into judgmental attitudes and, and bitterness and, and jealousy and frustration and, and we have selfish ambition that rises above and we wish that we had what they have. And we look at their life and we wish ours was more like that. And Gosh, in our worst, we just become ugly. We doubt, we judge, we tear people down. But in our core, redeemed heart, listen, you know the path to experiencing God in this favor. You know it. As natural as a child knows that if he cries out, he's going to receive something from his mother. You know. And so let me, let's think of how to walk in God's favor in this way. Look at Luke chapter 19. Flip over a few pages to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we see the story of the wee little man named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho and passing through, this is Jesus walking through Jericho, and passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Right there was your run-of-the-mill, low-rung tax collector who probably worked for a chief tax collector. He took money from people. Uh, a lot of money. And he didn't just open up one franchise. He probably had lots of franchises. He was like a chief. He was like a branch manager or like a regional manager. He, he had a lot of guys tax collecting under him. And so he took from the tax collectors who took from the people, which made him exceedingly wealthy, and extremely hated. He was a Jewish guy, and he was stealing money from the Jews to collect for Rome, and whatever extra he collected, he just kept it for himself. This was why tax collectors, uh, rabbinical writings describe the pecking order of who your son or daughter should or could marry, and tax collector was way, way, way down low. If you married a tax collector, they would cut you off from the family. That's what they were thought of in Jewish society. Jesus is coming by, and here's the wickedest, worst sinner there is in Zacchaeus. He's terrible. His culture, everybody hates Zacchaeus. But look at verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree 
to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Now listen, I want you to see this. Little Zacchaeus is jumping in the back of the crowd because he wants to see Jesus. We know everywhere Jesus went, there was a flock of people, thousands of people that were around him, crowds pressing against him. His disciples numbered at sometimes up to 120 people, just in his own immediate entourage. You had the 12, you had the women that supported him, you had groups of people that followed Jesus. John 6.66 describes people who no longer followed him, but in, in many places we see numbers of people who followed Jesus in his circles. Just in his own inner circle, He had an entourage, a group of people. Then there were just the crowds that flocked to see Him. And so you can imagine on a roadway, Jesus is walking, people are screaming, people are clamoring, people are running to the path. And here's Zacchaeus, can't get close, but desperately wants to see Jesus. Sees a tree, sees Jesus, does the geometry in his mind, describes that that branch, I think I can squirm up, maybe if I step on that guy or get a boost up, I can get to that branch. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing the mental math to get up the tree to put himself in the path to see Jesus, hoping that he doesn't take a right turn or a left turn. Zacchaeus is doing all this. Verse 5, And when uh, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus. It's got to be a weird moment. Huge crowd, a lot of people, worst sinner, in a tree, probably kind of hiding, but wants to see Jesus. And Jesus stops under the tree and looks up at him. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And isn't the grace of God good? We're sinner in the crowd, and Jesus, the most righteous, most holy, most loving, most perfect person in the region, right, in the world, in the region, looks up and says, I'm going to come to you. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, listen, if you've sinned against a holy God, you cannot outsin his passionate love for you, and he is seeking you. Listen, if you have a brother or a sister who is lost and who is wayward and who has rejected the love of God, listen, there is nowhere that your loved one cannot go. God cannot send people to share his great love and mercy. You may be in a position where you, you are around a prodigal, somebody who's running, and there's somebody in another place that's praying desperately for that person. Maybe it's in your cubicle, maybe it's in your school, maybe it's uh, in your neighborhood, but there's somebody passionately praying for a prodigal around you, and you may be the answer to that prayer, to share the love of Jesus in, in practical ways. Jesus came to Zacchaeus, the worst sinner, and he stood under him and said, I'm coming to be with you. That's God's favor. That is God's favor. The presence of God made known to a sinner. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't care if his reputation is messed up. You may be a friend of sinners and you may have righteous people talking bad about you, saying, how can you hang around with that person? Don't you know that they posted this somewhere and I saw that they like this candidate? How can you be a friend of that person? Hey, listen. Allow those words to fall somewhere else. Not on you, but around you. Just allow it to kind of deflect you. Sticks and stones, right? Deflect all that. Just say, hey, Jesus was a friend of sinners and I'm a friend of sinners and that's enough for me. And if it's not enough for you, it doesn't bother me. 
Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, proof of his repentance and his faith in Jesus, Behold, Lord, today half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus was born again in that moment. Jesus pronounced salvation. If Jesus pronounces salvation on you, by the way, it's pretty uh, bedrock. (laughs) That testimony is sure. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How does this have to do with us walking in God's favor? Let me help you to think about it this way. How can you position yourself in 2016 in a path that you're going to meet with Jesus? How can you position yourself practically in ways that you're going to meet Jesus? Just like Zacchaeus saw where Jesus was moving, saw where He was going, ran ahead, went to the place. Where do... Where does Jesus walk today? How can you position yourself where you put yourself in a path to meet with Jesus? This is where it gets extremely practical. Because God has always walked in the same ways. God has always walked in these same familiar paths. And He often walks in these same ways. And you kind of know these ways. Right? God walks within the boundaries of His revealed Word. God walks within the boundaries of His revealed Word. He doesn't reveal um, Himself primarily outside of the boundaries of His Word. What does that mean? That means that if you want to put yourself in the path of experiencing God's favor on your life this year, you place yourself in the center of God's Word. And you don't deviate to the left or to the right. It means you take your opinions, however bathed in worldliness and this culture, and you say, this is what I think, but this is what the Word says. Proverbs 13.13 describes the one who is blessed is the one who walks by the Word, but the one who despises the Word. The one who says, "Eh, I know the Bible says this about God, but, but I think He's like this. I know the Bible says that God is holy and that His judgment is sure and that He will judge everyone who doesn't come to faith in Jesus and and live by these standards in this way. I know the Bible says that, but my God accepts everybody. I know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father but through me. That sounds pretty exclusive. I know Jesus said that He's the exclusive way to heaven, but I think all roads lead to heaven and that uh, everybody worships the same God and it's your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Listen, that cultural, worldly smell in your, in, in, on your flesh, that, that is not biblical. You didn't get that from the Word. You got that from the culture. So if you want to walk in God's favor, you walk within the boundaries of God's Word and you, you take those cultural opinions that you like and share and you remove them and you bathe them in the Word. You say, what does the Word say about this? And you bend your life around the Word. You don't bend the Word around what you think. And if you're unwilling to bring your opinions to the Word and subject your opinions and yield your opinions to the Word, then you're placing yourself above the Word. You're the authority. I know the Bible says this, but I think this, and so what I think goes, or what so-and-so thinks goes, or what this school of thought, or this teacher, 
Listen, if you want to be walking in God's favor, and it's your choice, you can walk out of here today and say, I, I disagree. And I can just tell you, you won't experience God's favor in your life, His presence, because He walks in His Word by those boundaries that He set up. He's revealed Himself through the truth of His Word. In John 4, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, He is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in what? Spirit and truth. Spirit is like the emotions that we experience, the, the welling up in your soul, the spirit worship. But the truth is the good doctrine. And if you have bad doctrine, you're not worshiping Him in truth. The Matt Chandler description is perfect where he gets on his knees and he tells his wife how much he loves her. And as he's telling his wife how much he loves her, he says, I don't know if it's your, your blonde hair or your blue eyes, but there's something amazing about you that I causes me to well up in love for you. And he says, will my wife receive my worship? No, because she has brown hair and brown eyes. Despite how passionate he is in what he's saying to his wife, if it's not true about her, if it's not true... She won't receive it. And it's the same way with you. If you sing with all your might and you raise your hands and wave a f prayer flag or something, I don't know, if you blow a shofar, or what, I don't know, if you do all the emotional, if you run around the aisles and exuberantly, passionately get goosebumps and you love to, you cry and you say, oh, the worship was amazing, but the worship was not centered in truth. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping something else. So walking in the Word is how you place yourself in the path of where you know God's going to be. Is that clear? I probably belabored that. Worship. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. That as you worship, this is another action, as you choose to worship, whether things are good in your life or bad, you wake up and you say, I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise God because He's worthy to be worshipped. Not because of how I feel today. It's an amazing paradigm shift there sometimes we thank god when things are going well and we, oh god I praise you i bless you you're you're amazing you're wonderful because things are going good for me but when things go bad for me you start to say is god really good that's a bottom down bottom up approach to worship listen genuine worship is a top-down approach that says god is worthy to be worshiped and it doesn't matter how i feel about it it doesn't matter what i'm going through he is worthy period and i'm going to worship him whether i feel it or not I'm going to allow my feelings to catch up with my actions based on the truth that God is worthy to be worshipped. Worship. Truth. Trusting in God. You know, you know one of the quickest ways to short-circuit God's favor in your life is to doubt His Word, to doubt what He says to you. Just to, to walk in doubt. And one of the quickest ways to God's favor and His blessing is to take Him at His Word. If God says that sin is forgiven and you continue to ask forgiveness for it over and over and over again, the same sin that you committed two weeks ago, you have not taken Him at His word. You are walking in doubt that 1 John 1.9 is true. That if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is said and it is true. So if you confess your sin as far as the east is from the west, is as far as He's removed that sin from you. And so the, if you continue to confess the same sin that you committed three weeks ago over and over again, you're doubting God's truth that your sin is forgiven. 
And you think somehow that if you make yourself a martyr, that if you beat yourself up about sin, that God will accept you more. Listen, believer, walk in the deliverance and the forgiveness that He offers. You don't have to add to it the drama of extended penitence. You don't have to flog yourself over sins. Jesus was flogged for you. You don't have to punish yourself. Jesus was punished for you. That's the essence of the Gospel. Walk in faith and trust, believing what He's already said about you. Don't stifle sincere prayer. Don't suppress when your heart wants to cry out to God and to have extended period of time in prayer. If you want to experience God's favor, this should be a phrase that you're commonly saying. I need to go spend some time with the Lord. You should just say that on a daily basis. Uh, i I got 20 minutes. I can pick up my phone. I can uh, read something. I can scroll through that. But I'm going to go spend some time with the Lord. Get away for moments. You may say, I don't have moments in my day. I, I understand. But if you don't do with moments, you won't do with minutes. And if you don't do with minutes, you won't do with hours. If you, if you don't take five minutes and spend a couple of it in prayer and Bible study, you won't do that if you had 30 minutes. You understand the principle of small? You won't tithe once you win the Powerball. <laughs> Some of you think, well, if I just buy enough tickets, I know I'll start giving to God then. If you have $10 now and you don't give a dollar of it, if you have $100, you won't give 10 of it. If you have $1,000, you won't give 100 You don't start tithing when you get money. You tithe off a dime, a penny. You tithe off a dollar, a dime. You tithe off $10, a dollar. Tithing doesn't... The principle of small means that what you do in the small things, you will do in the large things. Worship. Walking in the Word. Faith and trust. Not stifling prayer. Serving in humility. Rejecting passivity in some areas and accepting some passivity in other areas. Placing yourself in the path of God's favor is as natural to the believer as just walking with the Lord with earnestness. Some of you say, well, I've done this before, but, but I don't feel like I got God's favor. I don't feel like I walked in God's favor. So let me add one more nuance as we close as we start to close. As we sort of circle the runway. We're going to come on our landing pre-flight circle. I want to deceive you. Uh, Mark chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll just flip to it. In Mark chapter 10, a passage that has baffled me. I've meditated on this many times. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, we have a small story of a man named Bartimaeus. It says that they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Same guy, sitting in the path, different guy, I mean, sitting in the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many people rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Didn't you just picture that in your mind? 
Here's a guy that is blind, probably got led to the roadway to stick his little thing out to people drop coins in. And when he hears that Jesus is coming, he gets out of his mind and starts yelling. People are like, shut up. Be quiet. And he, he doesn't care. He's yelling even more because he understands who's walking by. And in his zeal and his enthusiasm and in his in his desire to see Jesus, Jesus stops and says, call him. And listen, here's the thing that I roll over as I meditate on this passage. What if he didn't cry? What if, what if when they said, shut up, he just said, ah, okay. All right, I'll stop crying out. I, mean, I thought I'd give it a shot, but oh well. What if in his enthusiasm, the people around him stifled that? Come on, man. It's Jesus. He's not going to bother with you. Why, do you. why do you keep going to church? Why do you still believe that stuff? Why do you keep... Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you, why do you go to prayer meetings? Why do you go to Bible studies? Come on, man. Don't you know Jesus has got better things to do than to come visit with you? Why, what if blind Bartimaeus allowed the voices of people around him to stifle his passion to see and to experience Jesus. Now, this is real. This happens to us all the time. Whether you stifle that desire to see Jesus or whether those around you stifle it, but there's something about this desire, this earnestness is what I'm trying to capture. If you say, oh, I've done this before, I've placed myself in the path, I've gone to Bible studies, I show up to church every week, I give, I'm in the Word, I'm praying, I'm doing all this stuff. God just doesn't, He doesn't ever meet with me. Let me just encourage you to add earnestness. To add earnestness to the to the things that you're doing as you play, to, to get in a way that says, "If I, this is my one chance. If, I, if Jesus doesn't touch me today as He's leaving Jericho, blind Bartimaeus, must, this is it. This is the one chance I have to meet with God. And I don't care what anybody else says or thinks. Oftentimes, other people's opinion of you stifle what God may want to do in your life. And you're caring about your pride and you're caring about your reputation and and so you just suppress that zeal, that earnestness. Add earnestness to your life. Because God travels in these familiar places. God uses ordinary things like a sermon. I've often sat down after a sermon and thought, well, that was terrible. <laughs> you probably walked away saying those same things. Ah, man, really floated a dud. And then you, you get an email Later, someone says, God spoke to me through you. I say, well, that's amazing. Because I know what my preparation was like. I know what my week was like. I know what my morning was like. I, I don't understand how God can use something like what I put out there. And this is, this is why so many pastors are so depressed all the time. Because they know that if God speaks to someone, it's got to be a miracle. And it is. In some way, God is speaking to you now. It's... It's nothing to do with me. I'm preaching to me in this moment as well. 
That's why I preach a little longer, because I have a thick head, and it's got to get through my skull before it can get to yours. The truth is, and this may make us uncomfortable, is that God rewards people who seek Him in secret. I know that makes, you, makes us feel weird. We don't all get a participation trophy. Well, we, we all came. We all. Why don't I get the trophy, the, the reward? I just read the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. God rewards those who seek Him in secret. God, if, you, if you're praying, don't stand on the corner so that everybody can see you pray. Go into your closet and pray in secret so that when God who sees you earnestly seeking Him in your closet early in the morning, when He sees that, He will reward you with what? His favor. When you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. If you're fasting, don't announce it like hypocrites so that everybody knows you're fasting. Go fast in secret. So that as you're fasting, God will see what's done in secret and He will what? He's going to reward you. Hey, we don't always like the idea that God doesn't just give everybody the same blessing. But the truth is this. God blesses some people. Some people increase in God's favor. Some people decrease in God's favor. And my prayer for you is that you will walk in God's favor this year. That you will walk in God's favor this year. And it's my role to set up environments so that you can come in and experience ways that God works. We pray over this service. So as you come in, you'll experience God speaking to you. We try to confess sin. We try to make this an environment. It doesn't feel like a gym. It feels like God wants to be here, be with us. We have four types of small groups that will be introduced in February. Explore, grow, go, and lead groups. Explore groups are for those who are sort of kicking the tires of Christianity and they want to know. It's an I am second group where you just explore the Bible's basic messages. You watch a couple of videos and you're in a safe group of people where it's okay for you to say, I don't really believe that. That's okay. No one's forcing you or hitting you to believe this, but we want you to experience the favor of God, the blessing of God, the presence of God in your life, the forgiveness of God. And so we're going to give you time and space in this safe way to come to this group and to explore Christianity in a safe place where it's okay to bring your doubts and your fears and your frustrations. and You can bring up the crusades. You know, you can bring up all the things that you hate about the Bible and Christians. You can come and just stand on your pedestal and say all those things, and we're just going to say, yeah, that was wrong. It was terrible, those things that happened. But what does it do about Jesus? Let's explore Jesus together. There are grow groups like financial peace, like men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, Small group discipleship. We want to give you opportunities to put yourself in the path where you're going to experience Jesus in these small groups. Explore groups. Grow groups. We're introducing go groups where we do prayer walk outings and prayer meetings, prayer gatherings. These are opportunities for you to put legs to your faith where you're not just receiving instruction, but you're actually doing something. And the final classification of these small groups are lead groups where we gather and discuss theology, discuss doctrine, and talk about leadership, growing in leadership as we move toward an elder system of government in about 18 months. Explore, grow, go, lead, Sunday worship. All of these places are areas where God has faithfully walked. And if you're going to experience the favor of God in your life, go where He goes. Walk where He walks. And do it with earnestness. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word today.
We thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you that you still speak through sinful people to sinful people by grace and by mercy. And we thank you. We don't deserve your word to us. And so we pray that your favor and your blessing would be on your spoken word. We pray that you would draw near, that you would receive from us the response to your word, which is in our heart a yes. Whether we understand it, whether we agree or not, but just a place in our heart that says, yes, I'll do what you say. I pray that a small yes today would turn into a greater blessing on our lives later. I pray that whatever yes, whatever you're calling people in the crowd to do today, that they would just, in their heart, utter a yes. Yes, I will. No matter how small the step, fill out a card, yes, I will. Start a small group, yes, I will. Carve out a night of my week to be a part of a prayer meeting, yes, I will. Give something, yes, I will. Say something, yes, I will. Get off the sidelines, stop being critical, stop being... Uh, a watcher, yes, I will. Take my worldly opinions and bathe them in the Word, yes, I will. Lord, I pray that You would cause those hearing this message today to yield to You. To yield to You and to give You that yes and allow You, even in their fear, even in their worry, help them to set all that aside and just say yes to You. The greatest yes is for those who have not yet given their life to You, for them to say, yes, Lord, I believe You can do a better job of calling the shots in my life than I can. And so I yield to You today. Jesus, I make You the Lord of my life. What You say, I will do. Where You lead, I will follow. I pray that those in this room, those hearing my voice, would give that ultimate yes today. And from that would flow the actions of a redeemed heart. In Jesus' name, amen.